And if you would turn with me, please, in your Bible to Genesis chapter 14. I'd like to start a little bit different today, and I'm going to ask you to go through an exercise with me. What I'd like for us to do is I'd like to take just 30 seconds, and I'd like for us to, in silence, think of an individual, maybe the one that helped you the most, but an individual that invested in you personally to get you to a closer walk with God. I know it's likely that several of you have more than one of these, but I'll watch the clock, and I'd like for us just to take just 30 seconds and just think about that one in a spirit of gratefulness and to prepare our hearts for the message that we're going to look at today. Let's begin. Thank you. Thank you for going through the exercise with me. I think that might be a good practice for us to do, maybe daily, maybe before our devotions. There are two persons that are needed for us to go through that exercise. Of course, there's us on the receiving end of one that would give time and invest and care for. And then on the other side, there's the person who is giving, the one who's investing, the one who has a heart for other people. And there are many, many people that find themselves today in a place of need. I need to be rescued. I need for someone to pay attention to my life. And there are not so many that are willing to step up. What we're going to see in God's Word today is that you and I have been called, if I can use the expression earlier in the book of Genesis from that account, that conversation between Cain and God, where he said, am I my brother's keeper? I want to challenge us today to be willing to be a person that would be thought about in that time of silence, a person that would say, I am willing to be my brother's keeper. God desires for His children to be ready and to be willing to serve others. When we come to Genesis chapter 14, it's on page 12 if you need one of the pew Bibles that's there, we're going to see something at the beginning and something at the end and I'm just going to make quick reference to in the first 10 verses, it sets us up for the account that we'll see with Lot and with Abram today. And those first 10 verses, we find a list of kings. And if you've gone through those before, you'll know why I'm not reading them in front of the group here. They're very hard to pronounce. But I would commend that to you for your homework, to look at those kings and look at the details that led to a war. 
It's interesting, this is the very first time that we find war mentioned in the Scriptures. And we find these kings going to war, two groups, one against the other, and we're going to find someone who's very close to Abram gets caught up in the middle of this. As we look at war in our world, it is something that many of us have not been up close with, but some of you have been up close with war. War is mentioned in the book of Genesis. It's mentioned all the way through to the end in the book of Revelation. And the motivations that cause war between nations, they stem from the same motivations that cause war between individuals. And if we do not learn how to deal with this one-on-one, it will lead ultimately to bigger and bigger problems. We take encouragement by the fact that the world that we see today is not the world as God created it, but instead it's a world that's been cursed by man's sin, and therefore there's war. War is at the heart of this story today. Now, in verses 17 through 24, after the dust settles, and we haven't got the dust quite up in the air yet. But after the dust settles, we find how two kings responded to Abram and really how they responded to God. One responded in a sweet and loving and respectful and worshipful way, and the other in kind of a carnal and wicked way after Abram rescues them. I commend this to you, the first 10 verses, the last eight verses to read on your own. Now, last time we looked at Abram as a peacemaker, and I love Abram as a peacemaker, the man after my own heart. Now, we're going to find Abram making war. I've never had the experience of of being held captive, except for in some boyhood games that I can recall. And so, I can't imagine myself I can't imagine my family being taken against our will, our lives in danger. But even worse than that, I can't imagine having all this happen, and it's a result of the poor choices that I made. That's what Lot is going through. He finds himself in a terrible place because of his terrible choices. Today, Lot, Abram's nephew, finds himself, along with the people of Sodom, captured. That war that we spoke of earlier, Lot is taken away as a prisoner of war. How did this happen? Well, previously, Lot was given a choice, and he made a choice that was not good for his family, And it was not good for his own walk with a God who had blessed him. Now, Lot is not an unspiritual man. But instead, he would be one that we would call worldly. If you're taking notes today, the the two points that we're going to have are rather long. And so we'll have them on the screen for you. But I wasn't able to shorten these up any better than this in the time that I had. The first lesson that we'll see from our study today is that we cannot expect decisions made from lust to bring comfort when we are removed from God's protection. As we make decisions in our life, 
oftentimes it's going to take us to a place where we are further from God. And that is really the only security that we should be leaning on. Are you aware that everything can be taken away from you? As quick as tomorrow, it could all be gone. And so the challenge goes to never move yourself further away from God. Lot moved further from God and closer to some material comforts, to a place where his wealth would grow. And now he finds himself with all those things that he had put so much in, he finds them removed. Look in verse 11 of Genesis 14. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Everything that made Lot's life good, or so he thought, is now gone. And the bitter lesson that he would learn is that the richness of the soil that he had chosen was more than marked with the greatness of the sin of the people that were around him. If you were paying attention last time, he chose the well-watered plain, and he didn't go He didn't go in the wicked city, but he went near the wicked city. Today, we see that Lot is in the wicked city. And another lesson we're going to learn about Lot later on is that he is pretty important. He's kind of like an official in that wicked city. And the application is very clear for you and I. We are not to play around. We are not to linger around sin. So many men and women that have fallen into sin, it first entered their life through the eye gate. They cast their eyes on it day after day. And perhaps they had a conviction that they would not do something like that, but they were worn down. They were close to it. And as they linger, they're not actually in it, but they're lingering near it. And this is such a dangerous place. One of the best uh, psalms that we find that, that reaffirms this is the very first psalm. I'll ask you to turn there if you don't mind. And I want for you, as we read through this psalm, I want you to look for a progression. It's a warning to us. In Psalm number one, we find something that the man who loves God is trying to avoid, and we find three different steps that he mentions that are, that are really um, helpful for us. Look at Psalm number one. It starts out by saying, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Do you see the progression there? First of all, walking by, and then standing near, and then sitting in the presence of Lot moved near, and then Lot moved in. And it's very clear for us, and maybe you've seen this in your own life, bad choices will lead to bad company, and it will lead to a bad future. The foolish decisions by Lot lead us to the wise decisions 
that his uncle Abram made. And that's the second lesson for us. And the second lesson comes in by way of a question. And the question is this, are we preparing ourselves to respond when the call comes? This is at the heart of our challenge today. Are you ready for the emergency situation when someone needs help? When someone is lost? When someone is being pulled away from God? Are you prepared for that? Let's walk through starting in verse 13 of Genesis 14. We'll go down through 16. Then the one who had escaped, then one who had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, interesting, that's the first time that he's called a Hebrew in the Bible, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Escal and of Aner, these were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them. And went in pursuit as far as Dan, and he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. And then he brought back all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions, and the women and the people. This is a hero. Lot brings it all back. And what was the reason for his success? It was God who delivered all of this to Abram. Abram is who we find here stepping in. And Abram is rescuing Lot. This reminds us of the story of Gideon a little bit. When you go to the book of Judges, do you remember Gideon? He started out not so great, kind of hiding behind the wine press, and, and uh, an angel shows up and calls him a mighty man of valor. A guy hiding behind the wine press, he's a mighty man of valor. God had something great planned for Gideon's life, and Gideon eventually accepts the call after some doubt, and he's got a pretty big army with him. But God reduces that army down to 300 and 300 are going to take on thousands. The enemy, it says they had camels that numbered like the sands on the seashore. An impossible task that Gideon had. It's the same thing Abram faces. When we study these different kings and the different places that were represented, there are thousands and thousands of soldiers. And how many did it say Abram had when he goes after them? He had 318. This is nothing but God putting His hand of blessing on this individual's obedience. And there's some great lessons in leadership here. Some fantastic opportunities for us to learn from the leadership of Abram. First of all, we see that he mobilized his men. This meant that he was ready. When the emergency came, he did not have to go and start to make a plan. He was prepared, constantly ready to respond to something like this. And even though God would have to be involved, he had done his part. And then we also learn from Abram that he responded immediately. His love for his family combined with his readiness, 
This led him to be able to go and respond right away. It led to action. And then we read about the strategy here. Did you notice the strategy? What time of day was it that he attacked? He attacked him by night. And he attacked him in more than one place at the same time. So 318 divided by 2. I painted myself into a corner here. Is that about 159? Is that right? Yeah. So he divides them up. He's attacking thousands at night. And the strategy must have caused confusion. It must have caused chaos because these thousands of soldiers, they get up and they run and they get chased. And you would think there would be one point they would turn around and say, see, there's only a few hundred soldiers chasing us thousands. God put his hand of blessing on it, but Abram was a willing and a ready leader. Abram faced an urgent need and he was ready. And how about you today? The individuals that are finding themselves in need of someone to help are a multitude. We are surrounded by ones who are calling out, sometimes with their voice and sometimes with their silence. They need others who will step up, who will be ready, and will move to action. Are you ready to respond to one in need today? It drives us to this question that I will ask myself, and I'm going to ask you to ask yourself. Who am I rescuing? Who are you rescuing today? The need is there. The odds against Abram, 318 against thousands of soldiers, are those good odds for Abram, yes or no? No, they're not as far as man can see. And I want to suggest to us with this challenge of asking the question, who am I rescuing, the odds are even greater against you and I today. Because of ones who would want to follow Christ, maybe they've accepted Jesus, the amount of of enemies that are out there to pull them away from their closeness to God, the ones who would seek to take them to a place where no longer are they effective for God and they're trapped in some sin. The enemies that are around them are so great and we are so few. And that is why you must step up. That is why you must not turn your head and say, that's somebody else's job. And we look at the world around us and this daunting task, and it is to be done one person at a time. That's how it's to be done. You don't have to look out and save 100 people tomorrow. But I do want you to ask the question, who am I rescuing? And I do want you to be ready that when a name comes up, when a need comes up, I want you to be ready. Step in. Well, I don't know how to do that. The Lord will help you. Be prepared. Be willing to say yes. And know that the enemy is never going to stop. And as soon as you help one, there will be another to help. 
As long as we're on this side of heaven, there will be those who have been saved and they turn away from God. They fall away. They're, they're backslidden. They're like Lot was, a worldly Christian. And they don't need somebody to be their buddy. They need somebody to speak the truth in love. And for those of you who like to be liked, that's not going to be as easy. But you need to speak the truth in love. Stand up for what is right. If you were one who was far away from God, what would you want someone who was close to God to tell you? Pray about it and then speak the truth in love. Oh, I can remember the tears that flowed years ago in my own life when I was distant from God. And I was talking to a friend and as, who was close to God, and as we talked, I, I turned away, and there was a conviction. There was a heaviness. He wasn't trying to make me feel guilty. He wasn't trying to be mean. He was following the leading of the Lord and being obedient, and he was not giving up. He did not say it's somebody else's job and not answer the phone and not answer the door. You and I need to be asking ourselves the question, who am I rescuing? Because the need is great. When we look at Abram stepping up, being ready, we find that he is really teaching us a great New Testament truth here. He's not caught off guard. He's bringing people back. And you and I, Abraham reminds us of what is taught in Galatians chapter 6, where it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In a very similar tone, James chapter 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I wonder if you've ever been in the hospital and heard the regular beating of the heart monitor, the beep, 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 and then all of a sudden it goes to a flat line. If you've had the experience of being in a hospital when that happens, you will notice something happening. You will notice people from the hallways, people from the nurse's station, people from other rooms are all jumping and running to that place. Why? Because there's a life in danger. And for you and I, it is no different. There's a life that is in danger. And what are we here for if not to help that one, that one who is straying, who is far from God? And we see the pictures all around us of people responding to emergencies and you and I have to understand that there are steps that an individual takes and we need to be quick to tell them, you are right now walking near that. Be on guard. And then be close and observe and tell them, you know what, I see you now standing near that. 
and then to our horror, we will see ones that we love and know and that used to walk close with God sitting in that. And where would you and I be today if it was not for someone who cared for us and invested in us? Lot is Abram's kin. There was a life at risk. If I can borrow the words from the old hymn that Philip Paul Bliss wrote so many years ago, it's, it's a lighthouse picture and it's a, a, a sailing theme. In the old song, Let the Lower Lights Be Burning, one of the verses says, Trim your feeble lamps, my brother, some poor sailor tempest-tossed, trying now to make the harbor in the darkness may be lost. Let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the way. Some poor fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save. What can we do with a story like this from Abram? Well, we can ask the question, who do I know that needs rescued? And we can avoid what Cain said. Do you remember the familiar words of Cain? Am I my brother's keeper? And if you want to come and ask me that question, I will give you a resounding yes. We need to be the keepers of our brothers and our sisters, not passing the buck, not saying that's somebody else's job. My, my, uh, one of my favorite stories from a few years ago when we did a remodel to our sanctuary uh, comes from when I was here doing some work with my son. We were nearly done remodeling the sanctuary, and we were so pleased. It was ahead of schedule, and things were going great. And they had come, and they had delivered the seating. And they put most of the seating in place and fixed it there, but the seating for the balcony was not put in place. They just came and delivered those here and set them in the hallway. And we can seat about 80-plus up in the balcony, and there was some seating to go up there, so we needed a plan to get them up. And uh, my teenage son at the time, oftentimes pastors' kids get some of the jobs around the church that the pastor wants them to do. And um, I brought my son Jack in to help me with that. And I can remember it as clear as it was yesterday. We were going and grabbing some of these triple-wide uh, pews and moving them up the stairs to go around and we took one, and it was hard. We went up the steps and went and went around and put it in place. And then we got down there, and his eyes got big as he looked at all the seating that was left. And then he said this to me. He said, don't we have people for this? Is exactly what he said. <laughs> and my answer to him was, yes, we do. Pick up your end. Let's go. People around us are hurting, and they are sinking. And it's not a bad question. Don't we have people for this? And my answer to you is yes. You and me. God's plan for His church as He's put local churches all over the world. He is putting a church in every nation. And we're so blessed to have so many churches around us. 
and we don't hire some company to do this work. It is for you. It is for me. We need to have the compassion. We need to see others and say, I will help them along the way. If not you, then who? And if not now, then when? Would you pray with me? Our loving Father, as we look to you as the ultimate one of compassion and mercy, we thank you for saying yes to the love that you showed to us. We praise you that we can sit on the receiving end of forgiveness and grace. And we thank you that you've left us here with a job to do. I praise you for the example of one who loved his family, one who risked his life, one who risked all that he had and was dependent upon you to bring about the success. And God, would you allow each of us to walk in that same way, to lean on you for success. I thank you for those who have poured into the lives. I know that in the exercise earlier, there were dozens and dozens of names and faces that popped into people's heads. People that invest into, in, invested in someone's spiritual life. I thank you for them. I look forward to thanking them someday in heaven. But God, would you allow us to stand ready? Would you allow me to have my eyes open? To not be so busy with things that look like they are important while we're letting the most important things fall by the side. I thank you that you will equip us. I thank you that you will give the fruit. And I thank you that even though when we go through discouragement and heartache, that you will give us the fortitude to not give up, to not stop, to really understand what it is to love a brother or a sister. And that means not putting a stamp of, of approval on their sin and not allowing them to wander away from the fold but keeping them close. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for the conviction and teaching of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that we can run in a way that makes a difference. While we have our eyes closed this morning, I want to give you a chance to pray. The first question I'd like for you to ask yourself is, who am I rescuing? There are so many things that vie for our time. I want you to be ready. I want you to be willing. It could be that you're hearing this message today and you've never made peace with God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of man and all that he requires, it would ask him for forgiveness. And he promises to make us his daughter or his son. If you've never done that, even in the quietness of this moment, you can say, God, I am a sinner. Thank you that Christ died on the cross for my sins. I accept his forgiveness. Make me your child. You just start to pray and the Lord will lead you. 
Amen. Amen.